Welcome to the Main Side Hustle Podcast with Dre and Alicia. The business and lifestyle podcast for those holding down a nine to five and working that side hustle. If you like what you hear, tap in with us. Subscribe, leave a comment, and give us that five-star rating. In this episode, we talk to Shalia Harris. Shalia talks about her many ventures from being on the school board to starting her own scholarship fund to running a nonprofit and how it all aligns to help the youth in the Memphis community. Welcome back to another episode of the Main Side Hustle podcast. I'm your co-host, Dre. And I'm Alicia. And today, this episode, we have um, a super special guest. We have Ms. Shalia Harris. Um, native Memphian who is a wonderful community servant. Um, she is a board member uh, for Shelby County Schools Board of Education, several other things, uh, owner of a nonprofit, but she also does have a full-time job. <laughs> so fitting very well with the podcast um, where she is a state and local governmental affairs manager for Verizon. So welcome Shalia to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I think we want to jump in. Um, let's start with your full-time job. Tell us a little bit about that role and how, and, and then later, you know, of course, we want to talk about how that aligns with the work that you do in the community currently. Sure, sure. Uh, so state and government affairs, state and local government affairs manager for Verizon. Um, I'm almost at the year two uh, mark uh, with Verizon. Absolutely love it. Um, I have the Memphis and Nashville markets and my responsibility is to really mitigate any risk uh, to our build uh, with our network team. Um, that is our 5G and 4G build. Um, I work with the local city council members, any grass tops leaders in the city, any grassroots leaders in the city. Um, I'm that main point of contact. If you see a Verizon tower going up and you're wondering what does that mean or what is 5G and you know what is Verizon doing in the community, I'm that um, liaison or the point of contact for that. Um, the other side of the, my job, which I absolutely love, is I'm responsible for building out our sustainable philanthropic footprint uh, for Memphis and Nashville. And that's basically my VP and her, her uh, leaders giving her a budget and she trickling it down to us and saying, here's you know half a million dollars, $250,000. Choose organizations in your markets that you know are doing impactful work and let's partner with them. Let's invest in those organizations. Let's uh, bring our um, uh, Verizon team members together to volunteer at that organization and really expand our reach within the communities that we serve. So that's the fun part of the job. For sure, for sure. And so you mentioned that you're at the year two mark. Yes. How does that, it sounds like it kind of goes hand in hand with what you do on the other side. I guess you want to say, would you call that your personal and professional with your um, work on boards and those types of things. Kind of talk about that because it all seems to fit in one bucket and many of our guests talk about making sure that all the work that they do kind of serves the same purpose. Right, right. I don't have a defined line between personal and professional. Everything just kind of 
overlaps and intertwines with each other, which is great uh, because my focus doesn't have to shift 10 different times throughout the day. So with Verizon, the school board, my nonprofit, any type of involvement that or engagement that I have with the community is all related to serving children and to serving people of the community. So within Verizon, you know, digital inclusion, addressing the digital divide, that directly impacts what I do on the school board. Now that we see all of our students are one-to-one, -one, which means each child has a device in their hand and we've gone back into the buildings physically, you know, that overlays into what I'm doing in Verizon. Then going into my nonprofit with Living Grace, those same students that I would serve um, on the school board, if they are identified as homeless, then that's where Living Grace comes in and supplies them with whatever resources that they need for academic success. Um, and then tying back in Verizon as well to the community work that I do, um, any organization that aligns with our corporate social responsibility pillars, which is climate protection, digital inclusion, and human prosperity, we can fund those organizations. So everything is kind of centered around resources or serving the community uh, of Memphis or even Nashville, which I have those two markets. Um, so it all, everything just kind of piles on top of each other. Um, it's all in service. All I do every day is serve people, whether that is serving our network team, helping them mitigate risk with our build. Um, if that is serving our public sector team, helping them build relationships with grass tops, grassroots leaders and our uh, communities that we're in, or whether that's just building goodwill and funding uh, those organizations that are doing the good work. Everything plays a part uh, every single day. Wow. So that, that, that seems more digestible. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question and a half and I want to toss to Andre. Um, tell us about your nonprofit. Sure. So Living Grace, uh, we're actually celebrating five years this year. So excited about that. Um, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Um, but we are celebrating five years this year. Um, so Living Grace started, I was still a classroom teacher. I was a um, high school teacher. And I had this one student and his behavior changed drastically. And I had a connection with all of my students to where I, I noticed it. Um, pulled him to the side you know, after class, like, look, I'm Miss Harris. I'm singing and dancing half these lessons because I have teenagers all day. I know I'm not boring. Like, why are you sleeping in class? Like, what's going on? And that's when he told me that, you know, he didn't get a lot of rest. He and his mom were kicked out of their home. They're sleeping in the car. And I said, oh, okay. So I went across the halls, account, uh, guidance counselor said, hey, I have this one student. What do we do when we have a student that does not have, uh, you know, housing insecurity? And so gathered some resources for him, um, helped he and his, he and his mom uh, get into some temporary housing, got them all the resources that they need. But before that moment, my awareness of youth homelessness was almost non-existent. And that was just out of my own ignorance because we see the adults, you know, on the streets sometimes, you know, we know that we have homeless shelters, but nobody thinks about some of these adults have children. And so what happens to the children? Where are they? They're in the classrooms every day. And so we don't notice them, but they need resources and support as well. And so started with that one student, I started to put um, like some uh, travel size toiletries, some snacks, school supplies in a desk drawer. And I told this one student, you know, when you need something, don't ask any questions, just go in a drawer, grab what you need. So Living Grace started with one drawer full of supplies for one student and expanded out to, we now have seven schools that we've adopted in Memphis and we provide uh, what we call Grace Bags. 
So it's a bag full of school supplies and a bag full of to toiletries for those students um, that have been identified as homeless in those seven adopted schools. And we do this every single month through the academic year. So 10 months out of the year. Wow. Let me, let me ask about that a little bit sure. because um, I do some real estate investing in, in the past I've worked with some, some companies, you know, with, I think the company that I work with, they were focused on um, single moms mm -hmm. that, you know, needed housing and things like that. Do you partner with any organizations that actually help the student and their parents, um, you know, find housing and things like that? Sure. So we used to work with this program with the city. I don't think it's, I think this, it, it dissolved. It's called the Neighborhood Stabilization Program. We were actually able to house about three families within the five years we've been in operation. So that program was great. I don't know exactly where it is now. I don't think it's still up and running. Um, and so what we do now, we refer families directly to MIFA. Um, that's kind of the hub for housing and, and that immediate support in the city. So we do that first. If that doesn't work, you know, if it's an absolute emergency and there's no other options, then we'll pay for two to three nights um, in a hotel for that family just until they're able to get something uh, a little more long term. Um, so basically, we do what we have to do. Uh, we ne we're never going to turn a child away. We're never going to turn a family away, um, even if they're not in our adopted schools. I'm not gonna say no to a child who, who's in need. Um, so we do partner with MIFA, we connect with them first. Um, there are a few other shelters throughout the city that we might refer out to. Uh, we have a partnership with MATA. Uh, we do get free bus cards uh, for transportation for our students, uh, mainly the high school students that need that if they want it. Uh, we partner with Therapy Loft Salon in Bartlett. They do the girls hair for free. Um, they never get charged for that. Um, they usually go around prom, the girls wanna get their hair done. Um, and so they do the hair. We partner with communities and schools. Um, they're at, I think, all of our adopted schools. They serve as our point of contact to get in, uh, uh, to get in contact with the students and their families. Uh, what we don't do, just to make a note about that, we don't directly contact the child. We know uh, their gender. Uh, we know their age, their grade, and what school. Just to protect their identity, we do not make direct contact with the child. We just make sure, you know, if it's a, a young lady, we make sure she has pads in her bag. Um, you know, if it's a young male, we make sure they have what they need based on their genders um, and their ages as well. And so we don't have that information. Um, so communities and schools, and um, there's a few churches that partner with us. Um, they'll give us supplies every year, which we absolutely appreciate. Um, they'll do supply drives. Um, and I think, I don't want to leave any partners out, but I think that's it for now. Uh, so our main thing is to cover immediate resources needed for academic success. And so that's school supplies, that's toiletries, you know, make sure that you're fresh when you go to school and all that. Um, and then uh, transportation. We try our best to do that. Wow. Wow. Let me, uh, Alicia, I don't know if you had anything you're about to ask, but I was just interested to know, you say you were a high school teacher mm -hmm. and now you've transitioned into more of the corporate sector. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what brought on that change and, you know, why did you make that move? So at my, it was at my five year mark, my fifth year in the classroom. Um, it was time for me to, one, I felt like the grace for me had left the classroom. Um, so it's more of a spiritual move for me. Um, so I'll, I'll point that first. Secondly, 
seeing all those external barriers that my students were bringing into the classroom, I had to teach the trauma first before I could even get to the content of the child. And the more I thought about it, the more I would address that every day, I knew that I needed to do more work outside of the four walls of the classroom so that when students come in, they're able to learn with no barriers. Um, and so it was a spiritual decision. Um, it was a personal decision to do that, uh, but that we, I needed to do more work outside of those four walls. Um, now, in between the time I left the classroom and got my role with Verizon, I really started to advocate um, and serve families that were experiencing various levels of poverty in Memphis. And so, you know, I, once I got into that work, I couldn't leave. And now my role with Verizon, um, I'm basically a lobbyist and all lobbyists do is advocate. And so that whole notion of advocating, it, everything just kind of lined up. Um, I knew that I wanted to be with a company more long-term, uh, someone I can retire with and have good benefits and all that because, you know, I gotta take care of myself. Um, and so this particular position just provided everything, the flexibility, the opportunity to still invest in the community, um, address digital divide, everything I'm passionate about, it gave me the opportunity to do that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I just know it's tough. My wife's an educator and, uh, yeah, the, making a transition. She's t I hope, I hope nobody, uh, she works with is listening, but this was in the past. She talked about <laughs> changing careers and things like that. And, uh, I just know that's a, that's a pretty big transition, uh, it, from, it was from being in education. It was difficult. I cried. I, you know, I, I pushed back on it, even though I knew it was time for me to go. You know, my students were everything. That was my life. And I still have students that I keep in contact with. They'll still call and text and I still, you know, keep up with what they have going on. Like once you're an educator, you're always going to be an educator. You're always going to be a teacher. Even when I'm on calls, I'm the only woman, black person, whatever, on the call with some of our engineers, when I present, I'm still teaching you. I want to make sure everybody understands <laughs> what I'm doing, you know, understand what's going on, the content, all of that. And so once a teacher, always a teacher, no matter what sector you go into. Um, but that transition, it is hard. It is difficult, you know, especially to schedule because Lord knows adults, why are we working in the summertime? Like, what is that? <laughs> 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 That was it is hard. one of the perks of education. You get those yes. summers off and yes. all yes. the holidays. There are some perks, but but definitely, you know, you all's work hey. is invaluable. It's worth. We could. I couldn't do it. I couldn't <laughs> do it. So yeah, not in the classroom every, every day. Even when I taught it one semester at a time, and I was only in there two, maybe a total of three hours a week. Right. It's not, it's not every day. everybody. <laughs> it was not every day. And I used to tell them, you know, you have one as a student, you have one teacher. As a teacher, you have however many X number of people in your care, so to speak. Yeah. And, yeah. So and, you're, and you're not just a teacher. You're, you know, a lot of my kids, because I was a younger teacher, they call me auntie. You know, your aunt, your mom, your grandmother, your mentor, your therapist, you're everything to that child because you're the adult that they're leaning on the most forever, for however long they have you or you have them. Yeah. Right. Now imagine that a classroom teacher, you know, in public education, you have a class times five or six, you know, yep. so um, yep. definitely. So you said something that, um, that I think we've heard before, um, one, just 
I don't even think, I know I didn't cover everything that you currently do. We just checked a couple <laughs> of boxes. But um, if you can share that, and you know, my question is always about how do folks with full-time jobs, side hustles, other, you know, personal professional endeavors, how do you balance and, and schedule and just keep your time, you know, in a, in, in a place that's manageable um, but you did mention that with Verizon, you have some flexibility there. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of talk about why um, knowing that you needed a job that provided some flexibility was important. And then share with us how you do, um, you know, schedule and, and provide a, a space for you to do all of these different things. Sure, sure. Um, so one, I know myself. I know that I'm not going to spend 10 to 12 hours a day, you know, giving 100% of myself to someone else to build up their dreams. I'm not doing that. And so with Verizon, you know, technically, I technically I do have a 40 hour week and most likely I'm going to work 40 hours a week. Make, make note of that. Um, but there's flexibility with, you know, during the day, if I have a 30 minute call, you know, I can take that. If I, you know, have an, a lunch meeting, you know, with another organization, I can do that. Um, it's not it's not so formal and so strict as maybe some other positions are. And then working from home, you know, it, opportunities are endless. I have two to three laptops up uh, at one time and I can, you know, multitask better. Um, and it's not, with my direct supervisor, he's not a micromanager. It's more like, this is what we need to get done. Go do it, here's the, the deadline. Let me know if you need support. And so I think that is really the key. When I say flexibility, it's more of the type of leaders that I have. They give me that flexibility to just do what you need to get done, you know, and, and they, they're very understanding. They're human beings. They know that I'm a human being. Um, and we have that common goal. You know, this is the work that we're dedicated to. This is the mission. Let's just do it and, and have a good time in the meantime. Um, so that's, that's what I mean by flexibility with Verizon. Um, some of the tips that I have, and I have not mastered any of this <laughs> whatsoever. This is, I'm just growing as I go along. This is a journey. Um, but one thing that I have done since January of this year um, that has really been my saving grace, I do not open up my laptop on Saturdays at all. I do not respond to emails on Saturdays um, from Friday evening around, let's say, 4, 4.45. I do not respond until Monday morning. And wow. so my laptop does not open every Saturday. That is my day. Saturday, I get up when I want to, I eat what I want to, I lay and sleep as long as I want to. If I wanna go to the store, I'll go. If not, I just order it on Amazon. Like I, Saturday is Shalia's day every single week and I do not budge on that. If I'm doing something on Saturdays because I absolutely want to do it and that is my choice. Um, Sundays are very special. You know, one, that's my day of worship. Well, worship every day, but that's the day that I, you know, listen to, to, uh, to my pastor um, on Sundays. But Sunday evenings, I plan starting around four to five until probably about seven or eight. I am looking at my calendar for the next two weeks and I'm planning and I'm making sure that, let's see, Living Grace, Verizon, School Board, and anything else I'm involved in, all those calendars, I make sure that everything is lined up. I make sure that I'm prepared for all of my meetings. I make sure that I have given myself time to work on different projects I have going on. I make note of I, my 
desk and wall and half my living room was full of sticky notes. I put sticky notes in, that's just how my brain works. I'll think of something, I'll write it down and put it to the side. Um, so just taking that time, that two, three, four hours, it really didn't take that long, but just at least a couple hours on Sunday evenings, just to get myself situated because Monday morning, I'm ready to go. And for me, it, I'm more anxious if I'm not organized. And if I'm not organized, things fall off. And if things fall off, I'm not being effective. And that's very important to me, being impactful and being effective. And so I do take that time on Sunday evening just to get things together. Now, during the work week, it looks different every week. Um, you know, I, I can try my best <laughs> to have, you know, a set schedule as much as I want to, but every day is going to look differently, especially with the school board meetings, you have committee meetings, uh, with Verizon, those meetings vary throughout the day. Uh, with Living Grace, it's a, it's a little more flexible with Living Grace because, you know, we're just delivering supplies, I'm making connections uh, with some of our partners, uh, community members bringing awareness to youth homelessness. Um, so that's not so much an everyday task. Um, I don't do everything I'm committed to every single day. Like some days I'm a little more uh, Verizon, some days it's more living grace, some days it's, some days it's more school board. Um, so the schedule fluctuates, but Saturday is mine and I plan Sunday evening so that I make sure I'm effective throughout the week. Excellent strategy. Yeah, that's that's definitely a tip. I know yep. I, I probably need to start doing that because I'm waking up, I'm scrambling. Like yep. Monday, <laughs> Monday, I'm scrambling <laughs> from the get-go. You know, probably about Tuesday evening, I'm like, okay, now I'm, I got everything under control. But Monday hit, yeah, I'm I'm Gotta be ready to go. Gotta be ready to go Monday morning. And I, I think you also well, one, we know it's a personality thing. Some people are super structured and, and others are not depending on what it is. There's nothing wrong with it either way. Um, but I also think when you when you have a lot to do, you don't have a choice, you know, unless you just have decided that you'll be crazy for the next week or two or whatever. Um, you, I find myself, I'm not the most organized, but I find myself being extremely organized when they're is a lot to do because you, you know, every minute is already accounted for. Right. Um, so right. to your point, when Monday or whatever your work day is, when it comes, like my mom will say, you got to hit it. Right, and right, right. That's it. Yes, until whenever. So yeah. I, I agree with all that. And I want to make it seem like I don't do any preparing, but <laughs> I, to, the level, <laughs> to the level that, to the level that Shalia just explained, I don't. I do look at I look at my calendar. Okay, what means I got this week, but that might be the extent of it. It's a journey. I haven't <clears> mastered <throat> it at all. You know, some some Sundays I'm like, mm. yeah. Um, well, that's I'm teaching class too. So. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. That's true. Shalia, I I want to get into. I I mean, I've been excited to ask you about this. Your scholarship fund. Yeah. Your legacy yeah. leader scholarship. Um, so I, I went on on the website and read a, a little bit about it. Um, talk a little bit about how that came about. I know that I read in one of your bios somewhere that you come from a family of entrepreneurs and educators. Yes. And yes. so so tell us how this scholarship fund came about. I got a I got a few more questions about it, but just how did it how did it all start? So Legacy Leaders started um, actually two years ago. Um, it was a $1,000 scholarship. 
um, that I gave to or provided for high school seniors. Um, they were supposed to uh, submit an essay to talk about, you know, how they wanted to impact, impact their community. I uh, got quite a few submissions in that first time. Chose a young lady at Ridgeway High School, went and presented her, you know, with the check, with flowers, congratulations, all that. Um, and then just kind of, you know, last year was just weird. Uh, it was different. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, everything was just kind of, you know, everywhere last year. And so honestly, I had forgotten about it, not because it wasn't important, but just had other stuff going on and just wasn't able to prioritize it. So this year, instead of just giving out, you know, a check and saying, you know, thanks, good luck, you know, do well, I wanted to invest more. Um, and what I'm most passionate about um, is entrepreneurship and building Black wealth that is extremely important to me. And so the way that I'm trying to build black wealth is build up young black entrepreneurs who have great ideas, who you know have the potential to do it. They just don't have access to the network of people and resources that they need in order to get to that next step. And so that's what Legacy Leaders is, building a legacy for black wealth, for black excellence in our community. Um, we got about 17, 18 submissions in. Um, and let's see, can I say this yet? That's fine. So I am taking all of them. Everyone that submitted their um, application and I'm going to take all of them. Um, it was so hard to choose, you know, cause I wanted to do maybe two or three, we'll invest so much in them and I'm never gonna give them, not never, I'm not gonna give them the dollar amount that they're gonna get until they finish the program. Um, Cause I want to make sure they're fully vested and don't just, you know, just, they're not just doing it for the money. Um, so we've decided to move the whole scholarship program to the fall, got some feedback from some of, some of the participants. They want to be in person and I don't blame them. Um, and so I was like, let me move this to the fall. I'm sure our chances will be a little bit better then. Um, half of us are zoomed out. And so that was no longer an option for us. Zoom, um, zoom out, like I zoom zoomed, out. Zoom, uh, WebEx and blue jeans, everything just teams, just teams yeah. out. Um, and so we're moving it to the fall so we can have uh, in-person uh, sessions. And what we'll do is take about three months. Uh, what I'm going to do is between myself and about six other people that I have to come in as guest speakers, uh, we're going to surround these 18 amazing young black professionals, entrepreneurs, and we're going to help them build a lean business plan. Once they finish that business plan, I'm going to make an investment into their company. And we're going to track them for a year to two years out as they continue to grow to make sure that, you know, they have everything that they need. So the focus is to build a network around each one of these young black entrepreneurs. Um, for example, I have one girl who wants to sell hair. Okay, let's talk about it. What does that look like you know, on paper? How do we plan each quarter? What, um, what products do you need to have in? What does shipping look like? Are you gonna have, you know, is it gonna be uh, online store in person? Like talking through all of those things with them, they're starting to think more, okay, I can't just, you know, buy here and then pass it out. Like I really need to think about my finances, financial stewardship. Uh, we're pushing heavy on that because that's a direct tie to black wealth, being able to be a good steward over your finances. So basically in a nutshell, building a, a network um, based on what that participant wants to do, building that network around them so that they have the support uh, long-term to build out their business plan. That is a uh, man. That's, that's so awesome. Like, man, 
That is that is just beautiful. First, huh? Accepting all applicants. So yeah, man, that that's just a beautiful, you know, situation that you're creating. Because for me, what I'm hearing is, you know, obviously, yeah, you're going to support them and um, hook them up with a network of individuals that that'll help them out and give them some seed money and things like that. But what you're really doing for them is opening them up to other options mm -hmm. that traditionally they wouldn't have because, you know, one of the reasons we start this podcast is because we grew up with the traditional model. Hey, go to, go to school, get good grades, go to college, mm -hmm. go get a job, work 35, 40 years, retire when you're, you know, 65, 70 years old. Right. Um, but what you're doing is giving options to say, yeah, I want to do well in school and all that, but I know now that I don't necessarily have to go that route to be successful. You know, right. I have this other entrepreneurial route. Um, and you know, that that's why it sticks out to me, man. That's, that's yeah. awesome. That I'm excited about it. I thank God for even giving me the idea and the resources to do it and the capacity to do it. Um, there are three tracks in life. And I'm trying to put, I was a CTE teacher, so career and technical education, uh, quote unquote, the trade courses. Um, and so I want to present three different tracks so students don't seem limited. You can go the academic route and that's beautiful. You can leave high school, graduate, go to two year, four year college, get your master's, doc, go as far as you want to. That's the academic track, beautiful. You can also go the trade uh, track. You can uh, become a plumber or electrician or a cosmetologist or whatever under those trade courses. You can do that. And that is beautiful. It is just as important. But then there's a third track. You can leave high school and start your own business and be an entrepreneur. And it is beautiful. It is perfect. It is, you can be successful. So really elevating all three and presenting it out to all of our children say, hey, here are your options. Choose one that best fits you and what you want to do, not what your folks say, not what your family, your friends say, but this is your life, the only one that you will have. Which track do you want to do? And support that. No matter what it is, if it's different from us, that's fine, but support what these students want to do and build around that and not just live in this traditional education model that we've been in that really wasn't built to educate every child anyway so let's let's recreate let's create something uh, and build a new foundation for our children to grow from and what did you say the name of that cte is that what you said yeah, it's called cte it's career and technical education um it is let's see plumbing there's carpentry there's um you can be an electrician cosmetology um, there's fashion design, um, interior design, marketing, uh, childhood development. Uh, it's a long list of courses that are offered. Um, and it's mainly in our high schools, uh, pushing to get uh, all the courses available in all the high schools. Um, but uh, every high school in Shelby County has at least one CTE course. Um, and then some of our middle schools are trying to trickle down to the middle schools uh, so the school students can start a little bit earlier. Um, but I love CTE. I still do. I just, yeah. as a teacher, as a creative teacher, I didn't have standardized testing in my classroom. You know, I taught marketing, fashion design, interior design. Um, I taught the nutrition class. I taught my students how to cook. I taught them how to sew. I had the textiles class. I had fun every day. What, school, students, what school was this? I was at Bartlett High School. Because yeah. Alicia, we didn't, did we have it? 
Did we have that, Alicia? Uh, Oh, so Homec. Homec is considered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't remember if we had it in high school. I know we definitely had it. We had it in junior high at Bellevue. Man, we ain't had no Homec. I went to to Freeman. I didn't take Homec. I took music. It was an elective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very elective course. I regret not taking Homec because they used to have fun. Man. Yes. Yes. And you're teaching students life skills. Like, I taught budgeting. I taught my kids how to buy a car, how to buy a house. What's the difference between um, uh, credit and debit? What does that mean? What does interest mean on a credit card? Like you just, the, the basic seals that our kids are missing because they're too busy taking standardized tests every other day. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Man, you, you, singing, <laughs> you singing music. You singing music to me because that's, I was about to ask you about all this, but it sounds like you already are like on the track. One of my questions was going to be, since you're on the school board, like how do you, what do you foresee or what do you think needs to be adjusted or changed in our traditional school model to give the children these like these type of life skills that you just described? Because so many people get out and they don't have a clue. I mean, my folks taught me a little bit, like very little. All right, this is how you open a, a checking account and you know, don't get a lot of credit debt, that type of thing. But it was, it was very minimal. Right. There's no traditional, you know, there was no, nothing in the schools that were teaching you about budgeting and financing and, you know, about money, how to manage it, you know, how to invest it, all of that, which is, that's what people, that's what, that's what they need. That's what you need to be thinking about. And it all ties back into building black wealth, generational black wealth. That is, my main focus. I try to pull that into everything that I do. But yeah, I think it should be mandatory. I think it should be a graduation requirement to go through, you know, a life skills course, at least have at least one or two courses of that throughout your academic career, K through 12. If we can put a little bit of it from, you know, starting in kindergarten, going on up, it'd be even better. But our students have to have that, you know, it's, it's, it seems even how to separate your clothes and wash them, it seems like common sense, but some of our babies just aren't getting those basic skills, you know, and they're getting out into the world. I can't tell you how many of my seniors call me after they graduate or reach out a year after they graduate. Well, Miss Harris, what am I supposed to be doing? What did I tell you to do? <laughs> do exactly what I told you to do. And I, I'm thinking about when I had my seniors in the classroom, every one of them had to give me a plan. We spent two weeks. I remember every spring semester that I had seniors in my classroom, we spent two weeks on what is your plan when you leave my classroom? What do you want to do? And it can be, you know, don't don't think about what my expectation of you is. What is it that you want to do? If you want to go to college, have what are the application deadlines? You need housing on campus. What's the deadline to apply for housing? Like, who's your academic advisor? Like, I, I asked all those questions to my students. When you get on campus, this is what campus safety looks like. This is how you keep yourself safe as a woman. This is how you protect yourself as a man. Like we're not having, I don't think we're having those conversations as much as we should. And so our students are walking out of the door, you know, after graduation and who knows? Right. Who knows? Yeah, it's, uh, my eyes got open too when I was coaching basketball, I, you know, I was, saw some things and, you know, kids, some kids basically raising themselves. And I, you know, I don't want to, you know, no disrespect to their parents and 
you know, things like that. A lot of those parents were working two right. and three jobs trying to support them and and they just weren't around. Right. So the kids were just, if I want to go to school today, I'll go to school today. If I don't, then nobody's waking me up telling me to go to school. Right. You know, that type of stuff. So I just imagine those those kids, I'm sure they're definitely not getting any any type of information like we're talking about just right. basic life stuff when they get out on their own, what they need to be doing. So, and, and that's a, it's a sad reality. Um, but now that we know that, how are we as community members supporting those children? We can't just lean completely on the parents or the families in the home. We can't lean completely on the school district to take care of the entire child. It is a all hands on deck situation. That is education. Everybody in the community, you need to choose a child, choose a school, and invest in that school or invest in that child. It's going to take all of us, or our, our students will continue to fall through the cracks. There is no excuse for every person in this city not to be invested in, into at least one child. There's mm -hmm. no excuse. I mean, don't you can't say you don't have enough time. Yes, you do. You're not. They call to action. Whoever listening to this. You can take five, 10 minutes a week, a week, and just reach out to a, a, a principal at your neighborhood school. Hey, what do you guys need? What do you have going on? Do you need anything? You know, do you need anybody to read to your students? You know, you, you need your supplies? Like my organization or my company can help, you know, invest in your school. Everybody has enough time. Everybody. So there's no excuses. There you go. There it is. Leisha, I know I've been over here just talking, just running my mouth, but I got excited when she started talking about the education part because yeah. that to me, that's just a huge gap. I mean, it's, a, it's just a huge gap right there. Absolutely. I mean, I think you hit on so many key, you know, key important things and maybe some some things that, that none of us may be satisfied with in the current landscape of education that we hope will change. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, it all it all comes together. It all works together. None of this right. stuff is um, isolated. Right. So um, I, I appreciate um, your service and time. And thank you for giving us um, a nudge, um, a, a friendly reminder that we, we do have time and there is something that we can do. You know, we don't have to go out and save the world, but mm -hmm. we can invest just a few minutes of Time. Thank you for that. This episode is, as we bring to a close, bring it to a close. This episode is not necessarily about, oh, I have a, a full-time job and then I'm grinding over here, over here, trying to do a small business. There's a nonprofit there, your other community involvement activities. Um, but we definitely, you're a perfect example of the hustle, if you will. And we mean that in the most positive sense, doesn't always have to be that traditional thing that you know, we've always been talking about. Um, you can do many things at once. Um, and if they are aligned, it doesn't feel like you're doing so much because as you said, you know, you are in one way or another, you're serving people mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so once you said that, it kind of, it said to me, this is easier to digest because it doesn't feel like I'm doing one thing all day. And then I'm dedicating 
however many hours after four or five o'clock where I've got to switch gears in my mind. It's all the same. You really have to know what your purpose is. You know, however, whoever your higher calling is, you know, seek what your purpose is, why you're here on earth, why you're taking up space. Once you figure out why you're here, why you're still breathing, everything else will align. Everything else will align. And it'll make your day-to-day easier But because you can get up Monday morning and, you know, know, okay, this is what I'm responsible for. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. God told me seven years ago, take care of my children. That was it. I was like, okay, well, let's go. And so everything that I do is rooted in investing in children, everything from Verizon to school board, to living grace, to any other commitments that I have, I am taking care of God's children because so that's what he told me to do. And there's a level of peace and comfort about that. And so the hustle doesn't seem like a hustle. It seems like I'm just walking in purpose because I know what that is. And I have comfort and confidence in that. Uh, and so I don't have those moments of doubt, even if it, if it makes sense to me and my physical human mind, that's not from God. I hope I'm saying that right. If it's, if it's too, if it's too small or if it's not, if it doesn't scare me, then I'm not going to do it. Running for school board terrified me. I said, uh, Lord, I don't know. Maybe it was my neighbor you were talking to. It wasn't me. I don't know. what. <laughs> if it doesn't scare me, I'm not going to do it. Because if I don't do it afraid, then that eliminates the faith that I need in God. And me fully leaning on him and being confident in him to bring me through it, it eliminates all of that. So I do everything afraid. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how things are going to turn out, but God knows. And that's the only confidence that I need. And so, you know, when you're making your way through this journey in life, find out what your purpose is and have everything that you do stem from that. Man, that's a way to close that. I want to, hold on. I want to do, before we get off, I want to do main things real quick. I want to do main things and we'll just, we'll keep it to like three questions. Okay. I don't know what main things is, but we're going for it. First question, your favorite song on your playlist. Oh, um, don't judge me. Um, but I love Yo Gotti. That's I what knew it was gonna be something like this. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. We love God. Hey. Whenever I hear that song, it just kind of, you know, some days you, you need gospel, some days you need R and B soul to kind of smooth the some days you need a little trap music. You know, Yo Gotti always comes through. <laughs> Gotti. Shout out to Gotti. Yeah. All right. Give us one of your favorite books. Um, I just finished a book by Carla Harris. Uh, shoot, what's the name of it? Something about success. I can't remember. It's Carla Harris. It's Carla's Pearls. Shoot, I forgot. See? Carla's <laughs> Pearls? It's, it's, Carla it's, it's from Carla A. Harris. Um, okay. She's a phenomenal woman, a corporate lady. Oh, ex- something, success, something. I finished it and I had it on my desk, but I can't remember. We'll figure it out. We're going to put okay. it in. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll put it out there. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. Last question. On, on one of those Saturdays, you wake up, you're chilling. Give us, give us your latest binge watch. My latest binge watch. I've been watching. This is my third time binging it. Shoot. Why can't I think this Wednesday? I think the storm is throwing me off. Um, what's the show with Frank Underwood? House of Cards. Oh, mm-hmm. oh man, I was I was big in the house of cards, man, until you know this is my third time benching. I'm just watching it like I've never seen any of the episodes before, but that's what's on my Netflix right now. Just all right, house of cards. <laughs> I hear it there. I hear it there. All right. Well, that's it. That's main things. That's see quick and simple. 
Yeah, but I didn't have half the answers. <laughs> well, you had them. You know, you had them. We just got to do a little research. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Shalia, for your time. It's been super inspirational. Yep, we'll make sure to have you come back on. Yeah. Tell us, tell everybody where to find you, where to find all your, like your nonprofit, the scholarship fund, everything. Sure, sure. So, um, shalia.harris at gmail.com. Um, Shalia Harris on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Nonprofit Living Grace is livinggracememphis.org is the website. For legacy leaders, it is legacyleaderscholarship.org. School board, just go to scsk12.org. I'm on there somewhere. Uh, I'm easy to find. Just type in Shalia Harris, something to pop up. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. Thank you so much. We man, this was this was so good. Thank you. Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to the pod on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media at Mainside Hustle. Thanks for listening, man.